Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Tonight on The Readout. The Republicans in the House are going to actually go on record um, and make a decision about if they're going to actually stand for truth and accountability or if they're going to stand with someone that's clearly a liar and has admitted to an actual crime. Republicans unable to clean up their own George Santos mess. So it was left to a Democrat to introduce a resolution to expel him. I'll ask House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries about that and his meeting today with the White House on the looming debt ceiling crisis. Also tonight, the very serious new allegations against Rudy Giuliani. Beyond the really pervy alleged sexual harassment, there's the accusation that he and Trump were trying to sell pardons and plan to split the cash. Plus, when keeping it right wing goes wrong, the culture war Ron DeSantis is fighting is not only morally repugnant, it's economically disastrous. Case in point, his most recent anti-immigration legislation, which will impact your family's bottom line. And we begin tonight closer to the brink of financial catastrophe. We are now just 15 days from the United States potentially running out of cash to pay its bills if Congress doesn't act to raise the debt limit. President Biden once again hosted top congressional leaders from both parties to try to reach some kind of agreement to avert a disastrous default. He will cut short a planned visit to Asia as the situation grows more urgent, returning Sunday immediately following the G7 summit in Japan. It is a mess, to put it bluntly, and one of Kevin McCarthy's own making. Following today's meeting, McCarthy expressed optimism that a deal could be reached by the end of the week, even as he accused the White House of delaying negotiations. But it is McCarthy who is holding the U.S. economy hostage to please the most extreme members of his caucus, who are just wasting time with nonsense like this. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan will haul in former special counsel John Durham next week to testify about his dud report. Oversight Chairman Jim Comer cannot seem to find the informant in his investigation into the Biden family, which failed to find any evidence of the alleged corruption he hyped for months. Perhaps what Comer should be looking into is one of the very members of his own committee, hard right Congressman Paul Gosar, who, according to Talking Point's memo, has allegedly been employing a white nationalist fan of white supremacist live streamer Nick Fuentes in his office for at least the past year. There's also McCarthy's other lingering problem, indicted serial fabulist George Santos. Today, Democratic Congressman Robert Garcia of California introduced a resolution to expel Santos from Congress. Kevin McCarthy punted a question about that, of course, saying he wants the Ethics Committee to investigate Santos. And, you know, he threw in a complete non sequitur pot shot at, oh, I'll just tell you, you don't even have to guess, Adam Schiff. Joining me now is House Democratic Leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York. And, you know, I, I do want to get to the um, very most important thing we have to talk about, which is, of course, the debt ceiling uh, and the debt limit. But I do need to talk about Kevin McCarthy, um, because today he couldn't even answer a very straightforward question about probably the most embarrassing member of his caucus, George Santos. I just want to play that for you just for a moment. 
I think I would like the House to take up this work and look at it, and if it rises to that occasion, then, because as we look to all these differences, I mean, we just had a report come out from Durham. What does that say about Adam Schiff? He lied to the American public. Should he be expelled from Congress as well? That, that, okay, first of all, that is insane. Uh, Adam Schiff is barely mentioned in the Durham report, three sort of passing mentions of him. He is not at issue here. Um, and that is who you all are negotiating with about the debt limit. Is he taking the debt limit more seriously than he's taking the presence of a potential felon in his caucus? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you, Thank Joy. You. you know, George Santos is a serial fraudster. He uh, does not belong anywhere near the House of Representatives. He defrauded the people of the 3rd Congressional District in New York, lied about everything, lied about his life, lied about his jobs, lied about his finances, lied about his professional experiences, lied about being Jewish. He perpetrated a fraud on the people of New York. He was elected under false pretenses. And so I commend Congressman Garcia uh, for bringing this privileged resolution forward. And the real question is, are House Republicans going to stand on the side of truth or stand on the side of George Santos? It's important to mention, Santos was referred to the Ethics Committee months ago. Right. So what are we doing? You're either going to hold him accountable under the Constitution, or you're not. It's going to be interesting to see how the so-called moderates, in terms of New York House Republicans, vote. Right. They've all said that they want him out, right. that he doesn't belong in the House of Representatives. Tomorrow, they will have an opportunity to vote their word. So that is going to come to the floor, right? And, that, and as you said, you're going to find out, we will all find out whether House moderates, to the extent that there are any House moderates left in the Republican Party, will vote him out. Um, but on the debt limit, there is, in theory, a way that you could bring a privilege re resolution to see how serious those same House moderates are about averting a, an economic catastrophe. That's what Janet Yellen, uh, the Treasury Secretary, said. It would be a disaster for every person in this country economically. It would cause a recession, et cetera. Do you believe that there are enough Republicans who would vote if you did a privileged resolution to force a vote on whether or not we should allow ourselves to crash over the debt limit? Well, that's an open question and remains to be seen, although I do think that we're going to have to probe those Republicans and they should be held accountable uh, for their positions that were previously taken, which is to vote with the extremists on the Default on America Act, right. which would dramatically cut Medicaid spending for disabled children and seniors in their golden years, dramatically cut education, dramatically cut public safety funding, dramatically cut health care, dramatically cut food and nutrition assistance, draconian cuts that the American people find objectionable all across the country. And, you know, we were essentially given a choice by some of the extreme MAGA Republicans, accept the default on America Act or accept an actual default that would destroy millions of jobs, crash the stock market, hurt retirees, and skyrocket costs. Neither of those two choices are acceptable. And I think in the meeting today, which was positive mm -hmm. because it was cordial, it was candid, and there's a potential path forward, Leader Schumer, President Biden, myself, we all made clear, default is not acceptable, and neither is a take-it-or-leave-it approach. 
The Washington Post reports that in that meeting that you were all in, um, the Democratic side, perhaps even yourself, offered up closing tax loopholes. You, you, you hear a lot of talk from Republicans about we need to close excessive loopholes. That was rejected summarily. That is what the Washington Post reports. Is that accurate? Well, it is accurate that we had a real conversation about the appropriate way to deal with the deficit. President Biden produced the budget in March. It's a budget that will strengthen and protect Social Security. It's a budget that will build an economy that works for everyday Americans and reduce the deficit by $3 trillion by doing things like closing tax loopholes for big pharma, closing tax loopholes for big oil, uh, and finding other areas where you can eliminate that type of waste or fraud or abuse. And the Republicans indicated they had a different perspective about it. Right. But our view is you can't have a real conversation about deficit reduction if you want to take revenues and closing tax loopholes off the table. Right. And again, we're not interested in a take it or leave it approach. And that was made clear. Is, is a privileged resolution on the table, is this something you're seriously considering, meaning going around Kevin McCarthy and simply forcing a vote on the floor about an up or down limit, a debt limit increase? Well, my view is that all options have to be on the table, and we've got to explore every opportunity to avoid a catastrophic and dangerous default. So one of the options that could be available to us uh, is a discharge petition. Right. Now, that doesn't... That doesn't go live until tomorrow. And we'll have to have a conversation about the best way to proceed. But it will require not just the signatures of 213 Democrats, but as you pointed out in your opening question to me, we'd also have to find at least five Republicans right. to do the right thing. And my view is, look, we should just be able to find common ground with the fierce urgency of now, because a dangerous default will be bad for everyone. Right. And this is a reckless thing. We have a constitutional responsibility to protect the full faith and credit of the United States of America. It can't be done in a hostage-taking situation. It seemed to be a better approach taken by my Republican colleagues in the meeting today in understanding the urgency of moving forward. And it was agreement that there is no way out of this manufactured crisis unless we can reach a bipartisan agreement about moving forward. Our view continuing to be that the debt ceiling should be raised in a clean way, consistent with what was done under Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. But of course, we can have a simultaneous conversation about the budget, about appropriations, because we do that every year. Right. In determining What's the right mix of spending and revenue and investments to protect the health, safety and well-being of the American people? I do have to ask you just about dealing with this caucus. I mean, you do have Paul Gosar, who's employing a white nationalist who himself has made some white nationalist uh, commentary that, you know, you would think 10 years ago, even a Republican would be shoved out of Congress or forced out. He's still there. You have the Matt Gateses of the world. You have um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others who are out vocally supporting um, the choking death um, of Jordan Neely, which yeah. has been determined in your state of New York, my home state of New York, as being a homicide. Um, and they're out vocally supporting him, as is a former colleague of yours in the House, Ron DeSantis, the current governor of Florida. And I, I would find it difficult to work with people under those circumstances. But I wonder what you make of this rush to support vigilantism before there's even been an adjudication of that Jordan Nearly case. 
extreme MAGA Republicans portray themselves as the party of law and order. That's phony. That's fake. That's false. Uh, they continue to demonstrate that they are the party of lawlessness and disorder. That's why they're supporting Santos. That's why they're they appear to be supporting vigilante action. They've done this before. They did it in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, this is who they are. They want to defund the FBI. They want to impeach the FBI director, who, by the way, was appointed by Donald Trump. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, they bend the knee to the insurrectionists in chief. They've become, in large measure, the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, George Santos, and, of course, um, former President Donald Trump. That's who they are. Right. That's the reality. They are extreme. And it's our hope that we can find some reasonable Republicans on the other side of the aisle to help get us out of this default crisis and to figure out the common ground to move forward in a way that respects freedom and liberty and justice for all people. I have Not ask, just a privileged few. I do have to ask about one more New Yorker, Alvin Bragg, who has become a focus um, for Republicans. And they always throw in George Soros, another New Yorker um, who they love to demonize. Um, what do you make of this constant second guessing of his decisions on who to prosecute and who not to prosecute when it comes to both the uh, man who strangled Jordan nearly or choked Jordan nearly and also obviously Donald Trump? Well, the extreme MAGA Republicans have clearly been directed to go after Alvin Bragg. Um, because they're just bending the knee uh, to the insurrectionist in chief who has ordered them, apparently, uh, to try to demonize Alvin Bragg because he doesn't want to face the music. Uh, but I think Alvin Bragg is a good and decent man. He's got an extraordinary track record in law enforcement, former federal prosecutor, exemplary record. And I believe he's going to continue to follow facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution and present the information uh, to the jury, present the information to the American people, and then we can all make our own decisions about the way forward. But no one in America is above the law. That includes the former president. Yeah. Uh, privilege. Uh, can I ask one completely unserious question? Yes. But it's serious to me and Spike Lee. Next year, do the Knicks go further? Absolutely. Listen, it was a great season. It was. I'm so proud of them. Uh, it was a joy. New York is on fire when okay. the Knicks are on fire. And I'm looking at, you know, an Eastern Conference championship next year. They, they have broken my heart my whole life. So I need them <laughs> to start to, you know, but I, they did very well this year. That's right. All right. Thank you very much. Um, much appreciated. Uh, House Democratic leader, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of the great state of New York. Thank you. Thank you. Up next on The Readout, a former employee levels serious and sickening allegations against Rudy Giuliani, including that he was selling pardons and splitting the money with Trump. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. 
With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Okay, before I explain Rudy Giuliani's latest scandal to you, let me just start by warning you that this next report will disgust you. So here it is. 78-year-old Rudy Giuliani, the former prosecutor turned New York mayor turned hair dyed dripping Trump lawyer, has been accused by one of his former employees of multiple counts of rape, sexual abuse, harassment, and stolen wages during the two years she worked for him, starting in 2019. Nicole Dunphy makes these disturbing allegations in her 70-page lawsuit, in which she's seeking $10 million in damages. In the suit, she goes into graphic detail about the things Giuliani allegedly said and did to her throughout her employment. Giuliani denies it all, even though, as Dunphy indicates throughout her lawsuit, a lot of it was recorded. The dissent of the man who, after 9-11, was dubbed America's mayor includes allegations from Dunphy that in sexually abusing her, Giuliani told her he thought of her as his daughter. A very Trumpian statement. As gross as those allegations are, there are other allegations in the lawsuit that could turn into federal investigations. Dunphy alleges that Giuliani told her in 2019 that he was selling presidential pardons for $2 million, money that he and then-President Donald Trump planned to split. The lawsuit did not allege that any were sold, but even so, that could describe a conspiracy to commit extortion. It also does not claim that there are any recordings of this conversation, and a spokesperson for Donald Trump's 2024 campaign has not responded to a request for comment. Then there's a part of the lawsuit where Giuliani allegedly tells Dunphy to commit the crime of lying to the FBI. Quote, he told her that if the FBI sought to interview her, she should not remember anything and should claim that she did not know Giuliani. And there is the part where he allegedly admits to federal and state income tax evasion, describing to Dunphy how he had a friend collect and hold a million dollars owed to him so that he could avoid reporting the income and keep it from his third wife in divorce proceedings. And like many of their other conversations, Dunphy says she has that one on tape. Joining me now is Kimberly Atkins-Store, senior opinion writer for the Boston Globe, and Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and contributor to the Los Angeles Times. Thank you both for being here. And Kim, I will start with you. So the, the, the really gross and disgusting part of the lawsuit, and I read through some of it and it turned my stomach, forcing this woman to perform sexual acts, saying that was part of her job, saying he wanted these sexual acts done while he was on phone calls because it made him feel like Bill Clinton. Like, it was gross. But, and that part of allegedly Dunphy said was kind of when that law came out that E. Jean Carroll used to go after Trump, that kind of inspired her to come forward. But talk about the part that seems to me to put Giuliani in danger, not just of a civil action, but a criminal one. Yes, I think that was the most uh, jaw-dropping, I mean, uh, as horrific as the essential rape claims that yeah. uh, Dumpy is making here, saying that he sold uh, or that he was trying to sell pardons along with Donald Trump and they would split the proceeds. That yeah. is a crime. That would be not just uh, alleged, alleged bribery, but also uh, fraud by honest services. There are, right. federal, there are several federal uh, federal laws that that could break, and that's 
problematic. Now, it's important as we're discussing this to say this is a complaint. Yes. This is not, we don't know what evidence she has. She's going to have to bring that forward. But discovery is going to be able to open up these federal investigations that you are talking about. And that could be really problematic, not just for Rudy Giuliani, but also for Donald Trump. And because it's a civil case, is it possible that these what she says is recorded, these recorded conversations become public. Yes, it is possible. As the discovery period goes forward, it is decided by the by the judge in this case what could be made public and when and who can have access to it. It may right. not always be automatically sure. made public. And it can't it could take some time. Right. But in and just because it's a civil case does not mean that these that this, this discovery is shielded. And and so Kurt, let's talk about this. This is um the parts that relate to this fraudulent attempt to pretend that Donald Trump had the 2020 election stolen from him. This is what Nicole Dunphy says. Um, And this is her discussions that she had with him allegedly in February of 2019, the year before the election. Giuliani told Ms. Dunphy in her capacity as his employee about a plan that had been prepared for if Trump lost the 2020 election. Specifically, Giuliani told Ms. Dunphy that Trump's team would claim that there was voter fraud and that Trump had actually won the election. This plan was discussed at several business meetings with Giuliani and Lev Parnas of Lev and Igor fame. Um, that sounds like something that Jack Smith might want to know about. Yeah, I mean, if anything, Ms. Dunphy is while she's a victim, she's also a witness yes. to a massive attack on our democracy. And if she has information that that shows that were conversations and she has some of those on tape about the plot to thwart the election and show that this was deliberate, this was contrived, this was planned. This wasn't just some rowdy tourists having a normal day on Capitol Hill. Like there, there was a, a deeper conspiracy going on that started before the election results even came in. That's something that any special counsel and anyone investigating what happened that led to the circumstance of January 6th should want to look at. And so she becomes a very important and credible witness. I can't underscore the proximity to the people that were firsthand a part of this is incredibly important and very credible. And if I were really Giuliani, Donald Trump, and everyone in the Republican Party, I'd be very worried right now. Well, and, and John Eastman, right? I mean, so, so we know that John Eastman did seek, uh, allegedly sought a presidential pardon. We know that there were a bunch of members of Congress who, you know, went and, and asked and inquired about whether they could get pardons as well. And now what at least this woman is alleging is that they premeditated the stop the steal um, scam a year before the election. That seems to me like something Fonnie Willis might want to talk to them about. Absolutely. And what is also crucial about this case is in making her claim part of the her civil claim requires proving that she was actually an employee of Rudy Giuliani. And one of the crucial pieces of evidence is the fact that she was had access to years worth of his emails, right. which could not every email may come into evidence for the purpose of this claim, but a lot of them to show that she was in close proximity to Giuliani, who was the president's right-hand man, and that she had access to all kinds of things that could even raise national security implications based on the number of people whose emails she said she had, that can go forward in proving claims of what led what happened leading up to January. Well, and you talk about too, like you see right now, these Republicans on Capitol Hill talking about the weaponization of government and investigating everything that they can possibly get their hands on relating to the president's first family. And yet here we have again another example of a potential pay-for-play scheme 
at the federal government level. Where's Jim Jordan on this? Where's James Comer on this? They're out there chasing freaking shadows that don't exist and making up stuff. And here we have another example of corruption, malfeasance, and abuse of power, and they're nowhere to be seen. And by the way, one of the people who allegedly was offered this pay-to-play scheme uh, is a man named John Kariaku. He's a former CIA officer who was convicted of illegally disclosing classified information, something Trump should be familiar with. Uh, he apparently turned down the $2 million deal. Give me $2 million, I'll give you a pardon. But there have been, we were talking to meeting earlier, there have been allegations that Trump was offering these pardons for money, you know, down to you know, people saying maybe Lil Wayne bought his pardon. Like, it's, it's been a thing for a while. But selling a part, I mean, this is obviously illegal. If Donald Trump were found to have done this, is, is, is there a likelihood that maybe Jack Smith opens a third line of inquiry into him? Or just continues the one that he's on. I mean, it would, could, it would be a part of the same uh, basic underlying things. But yes, it could be uh, it would definitely be more of an investigation. This yeah. is something that has not yet been fully vetted out as far as that we could see. But this additional information, of course, would be. And those were all rumors. I should say, I should know if all the Lil Wayne fans don't come, don't, don't come for me on Twitter. I don't even go on Twitter anymore. But it's just at the time, I think people asked questions about a lot of yeah. people who got pardons and said, did these people um, pay money? Um, but I just want to talk for you one second about Rudy Giuliani. This is Rudy Giuliani, who used to be a prosecutor, a respected prosecutor. He has lost his law license in New York. The D.C appeals court um, is looking at his law license as well. He could be disbarred in D.C. Why? And, and it now appears that he was sort of flagrantly at least proposing crimes, allegedly, mm-hmm. at least according to this woman. What happens to people when they get in the orbit of Donald Trump, do you think? Well, one or of two, were they already just already corrupt? It's like one of two things seems to happen. Either one, they end up needing to lawyer up themselves yeah. because they become a part of a mass web of criminal, potentially criminal activity. Uh, and the other thing, too, is at some point along the way, they end up getting dumped in, and, and just rolled over on by Donald Trump. This is a guy who's not loyal to anybody. And as soon as it gets too hot for Donald, he will throw you under the bus and back it over and run it back over again. And so it's like all of these people who get into the Trump orbit, the story seems to always end the same, whether it was Michael Cohen, what, who, who was there before Giuliani, whether it was Jeff Sessions, his former attorney general, whether it was Bill Barr, who now Trump hates and despises. We've seen the back and forth love-hate thing with Steve Bannon. The story always ends the same with these people. They end yeah. up with solely reputations, no professional worth of any kind, and a lot of legal fees. And a lot of legal fees. And he doesn't pay his bills. I don't even know if Giuliani ever got paid for <laughs> The legal fees. You're a lawyer. Can you imagine you did all that work and no, humiliated yourself? I would only you do that with money up front. I mean, I wouldn't take money as a client. Demand You're a smart person. Um, what it, it was Melissa Murray who coined "making attorneys get attorneys" is what MAGA yes. really stands there you for. Go. Yes. Very wise. Uh, Kimberly Atkins, Store, Carbardella. Thank you both very much. Still ahead, the right wing gets it wrong again as the economic impact of Florida's harsh new immigration restrictions become painfully clear. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 
Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com. Ron DeSantis says Florida is where woke goes to die. But does he actually mean history, the First Amendment, or wait, wait, maybe jobs? After all, his war against Disney, a major employer in his state, threatens to kill off billions in investments and thousands of jobs. Bodily autonomy? Yeah, that's dying too. It's where human rights go to die as well, for those unlucky enough to come from poor and violent countries and whose labor plays an essential role in how things in this country function. Last week, DeSantis signed a vile and inhumane immigration bill imposing penalties and restrictions on undocumented migrants in Florida that, among other things, bans local governments from issuing identification cards for people who can't prove citizenship. It criminalizes not just migrants, but any Florida resident who associates with them. This includes providing undocumented migrants with work or transportation, which is why leading Miami Archbishop Thomas Wensky said it would criminalize empathy. The penalties, which haven't even taken effect yet, will certainly have deadly consequences. This is what an undocumented immigrant told Telemundo's Lourdes Hurtado, which I'm going to read to you, translated into English. Quote, they say they are going to check the hospitals. If you don't have papers, then it is scary to take care of yourself. And I am very sick right now and I need surgery. My children tell me to go back to Mexico because they are afraid. The cruelty. Isn't that the point? But that's not all. It's also a dumb economic move, leaving a void in the labor this country runs on. A similar bill more than a decade ago didn't go so well in Alabama, where a crackdown on immigration led to produce rotting in the fields. Because picking blueberries, tomatoes, and squash largely requires hand labor by the migrants these Republicans loathe. So it should surprise no one that this issue has taken over social media. It is an entire category on TikTok right now. We're seeing abandoned work sites and Latino truck drivers calling for a boycott, refusing to take shipments into Florida in response to the new law. Luis Melian, a construction worker in Florida, showed Telemundo the huge void left by construction workers who left when they heard that this bill was approved. Some even left their tools behind as they abandoned the Sunshine State. This is what Luis said about the workers who fled. He's speaking Spanish, so please read the subtitles. Dice, para que me vayan a agarrar por ahí y queden mis hijos solos, yo me voy antes del primero de julio. Lo que se va a ver fuerte es el mes que viene. Se va a ver fuerte porque va a haber mano calificada, no va a haber. Look, we get it. Republicans don't care about these people and their lives. But what they do care about is money, the economy. And without migrants, the state of Florida will lose millions in federal and state and local taxes because, yes, they do pay taxes while not reaping the benefits. It will cause staffing crises for agriculture, one of the state's most vital industries, leaving a gap in the tough, backbreaking labor that no one else wants to do. A state like Florida without farming, construction, and hospitality doesn't sound much like Florida, does it? Wait till the economy comes to a screeching halt. In this fight against woke, Florida may instead go broke, which is exactly what happens when keeping it right wing goes wrong. 
More on the immigrant people's fate next. And now you can tell the whole building still unfinished and nobody's working. And it's not a Sunday. It's not Mother Days. It's a Monday. This Orlando, Florida. But you can tell not a single person in the whole building. Well, other than being unwise from an economic standpoint, Governor Ron DeSantis's new immigration law is also just downright cruel. The reason that so many workers aren't showing up is because the bill requires employers to use the e-verify system to check legal status. Those who fail to comply will be fined $1,000 per day. It also requires any hospital that accepts Medicaid to ask patients whether they are U.S. citizens. It bans undocumented law school graduates from being admitted to the Florida bar and says people could face felony charges if they're caught transporting five or more undocumented immigrants or a minor. Joining me now is Andrea Reyes, an immigration attorney in Florida. And I will note for you, Ms. Reyes, that the exception to being able to transport undocumented migrants is the governor, who has been authorized by this law to fly migrants from Texas, whom he's brought into the state and put on planes and flown them to all sorts of blue states. So he gets to do it. What is the impact of this law before it even goes into effect in July? Thank you for having me. So right now we are already seeing a um, basically the start of what's going to likely be a mass exodus of immigrants out of the state of Florida. Um, and we understand that um, in the state of Florida, we, we you know, we are 21 percent of the state is populated by immigrants. And so when you have a state where 35 percent of entrepreneurs are immigrants contributing a whopping $8.1 billion in total income to the state of Florida, when you have over 21 percent of the populations being foreign born, where you have over half a million U.S. citizens living with at least one undocumented family member in their home in a mixed status environment. Um, you know, when you have a, a state that is run by immigrants in the industries of crop production, agriculture, construction, roofing, uh, taxi drivers and um, uh, maids and housekeepings. Right. When you have a state that is run so much by immigrants to say that this bill is going to affect nearly all residents, families and businesses in the state is really a terrifying fact. And, you know, and it's interesting because you, you, you talk about the number of um, immigrant entrepreneurs in Florida. I definitely experienced that. I lived down there 14 years. You have a lot of people who own construction firms and restaurants. And these are people who are Latino, right? They are themselves. And a lot of them are Republicans and DeSantis supporters had probably voted for him. I want to read a quote from the same article that quoted you um, in The New Yorker. And this was a quote from a gentleman named Jose Rodriguez, and he's a priest in the Iglesia Episcopal Jesus State Nazareth Church in Orlando. He said that conservative Latinos are prioritizing abortion over immigration and other life-preserving issues. Rodriguez, who supports immigration rights, added, they make a good show of pretending that they care about immigrants, but at the end of the day, they worship at the altar of conservatism and they'll turn their back on their neighbor. Um, but what I've been seeing on, on, you know, on these sort of TikToks that are putting up is people saying that a lot of people who actually voted for DeSantis and thought that he would be a good governor are actually waking up to the fact that this isn't helping them. Are you seeing that kind of reaction from Latinos? 
So I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. We tend to be a little bit more on the conservative side as a whole. Um, I do definitely believe, you know, Jackson was a bit of a purple city, if you will. Um, not quite uh, blue like Orlando or what Miami used to be, uh, you know, prior to this past election. Um, but I definitely think so having this experience with, you know, I've been doing immigration for nine years, working in immigration for 13 years. And I will tell you that the um, particularly the Hispanic Latino immigrant, right, because there's different types of immigrants. Yes. Um, and Jacksonville, for example, we have we are a majority minority city. Um, we have six to seven percent um, Asian population, almost 11 to 12 uh, Hispanic Latino and 30 to 30, 33 to 34 um, African-American black population. So we are actually a majority uh, minority city, but our politics don't reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, having already seen a couple of um, election cycles here, right? What I what I can tell you is that the immigrant, particularly the Hispanic Latino immigrant, is not monolithic, right? They they they're not attached to one particular issue, and um, because traditionally people have. You know, we come from countries where, where religion is a is a is a very strong. It has a very strong um, uh, hold on our households. Um, they tend to vote for things that don't necessarily protect their immediate interests. Um, and so, and and that's something that I started a nonprofit called Nefida that we're trying to work to educate the immigrant population on. Like, this is the way that our political system works. Um, this is how you know when you come to this country, you got to leave aside your political baggage from your country. Unfortunately, a lot of these immigrants that come from, uh, you know, uh, uh, like uh, states that have been very uh, polarized, where there's been a lot of um, corruption and collusion, um, they tend to vote a very specific way because they're trying to avoid having that here, not understanding how our constitution works, separation of powers, federalism. Um, You know, so we're trying to educate the population with that as well, because we do see this to be a, a, a part of a lack of education more than anything else. And there's also just the actual fear that people are feeling. I mean, if you're afraid to go to the hospital, then that's dangerous and it can lead to people dying. Are you concerned that people are going to be so fearful that if they don't leave, um, you may actually start to see real health crises in the state? So I actually so you 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 said it, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I I genuinely believe that this bill is economic suicide. Um, SB 1718 is a sucker punch to Florida's future, its businesses, families, immigrant communities, and their loved ones. It's going to reduce road uh, safety and it's going to keep people away from the hospitals. Um, what's what's very bothersome about this bill, right, is that it has all these provisions, but then it has ways to backpedal. So, so for example, for the hospital provision, um, once they report that information to the governor and the legislature, once the hospitals are required to submit those quarterly reports, there's actually a section where they're allowed to elect if the person declined to answer. So that's specifically written to the bill as a possibility. But if you ask an immigrant your immigration status at a hospital, and they're going to feel fearful to give that information to, to even con- continue seeking uh, medical attention, despite the fact that you can decline to answer. Um, so absolutely, immigrants by nature already don't report crimes. Right. Uh, there's a specific type of bill called, um, there's, there's been legislative acts, but in 2008, right, there was a, in 2000, there was a bill to help immigrants who were victims of crime come yeah. forward to uh, talk about criminal activity and because they, because they, you know, inherently don't. So yeah. they're afraid. And so now we have hospitals and we have uh, police officers that are going to be acting as ICE officers and it's going to create, you know, what this Chaos. bill just was designed to do, which is fear mongering. Absolutely. Yeah. 
It's designed to create fear and also to strip work sites of workers in the state with the most hurricanes in America where they need people to do construction. It makes no sense. And it is also incredibly cruel. Andrea Reyes, thank you for coming uh, to talk with us this evening. Cheers. Thank you. And coming up, pivotal primaries today in Kentucky and Pennsylvania, where a special election is putting reproductive rights and voting rights on the ballot. We've got some races that have been called in just the last hour, and we'll be right back. It's election day in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Voters in each state have big issues to contend with. There's the special House election that will decide which party controls the Pennsylvania House, which would have major consequences when it comes to abortion. There's also Philadelphia's Democratic primary for mayor, which is wide open and could be historic. For the first time, three top contenders are women. Philly has never had a female mayor. Voters are also picking candidates for the state Supreme Court. Two of the Republicans are election deniers. In Kentucky, where polls closed a short time ago, Republicans were picking their nominee to face Democratic Governor Andy Bashir, who's looking for a second term. Moments ago, the Associated Press projected Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron, who has the endorsement of Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, the winner of the Republican primary. Meanwhile, voters in Jacksonville, Florida, are picking their next mayor. The race could be a gain if the Republican wins, which multiple news organizations have now projected is the case. And joining me now is Sahil Kapoor, NBC News senior national political reporter. So let's just go in reverse order. Jacksonville would be a big pickup for Democrats in a city that has gone barely-ish Republican. It certainly would be. This is the kind of city where Democrats should have a good pickup opportunity. It's the largest city in the country by population that has a Republican mayor. The current mayor is term limited. He's going to be out. He barely won his first race, only by a few points. Yeah. Uh, and he swept uh, the, the next time around. But this should be a good opportunity for Democrats to flip seat. Let's Well, let's go to quickly to Kentucky. So Daniel Cameron, um, Trump, seems to be happy, but also Mitch McConnell. It's weird that he's both of their candidates. That's right. This was an interesting proxy war between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Trump had endorsed Daniel Cameron early. Ron DeSantis swooped in later on, endorsed Daniel Cameron's rival, Kelly Kraft, who incidentally served as Trump's U.N. ambassador, is known to be a big uh, Republican mega donor in Kentucky. Is she from that Kraft family, like the rich Krafts? I believe so. Yeah. I, I, um, and Trump's uh, PAC is already spiking the ball. I just got a statement from MAGA PAC. A spokesman said that I'm just going to read it out here. Quote, President Trump is a leader of the Republican Party. The results in Kentucky's Republican gubernatorial primary tonight reaffirmed that Republican voters stand with President Trump, not Ron DeSantis, unquote. Mm. He, they're mentioning him by name, <laughs> right. spiking the ball, uh, trying to teach him a lesson here. DeSantis swooped in to uh, try to boost uh, Kelly Kraft at the end did not work. One of the interesting things in that general election is that uh, Daniel Cameron will not get any help from black voters, I'm assuming, due to hit the way that he ran the Breonna Taylor investigation and cleared those officers uh, for killing her in bed. So uh, I don't think he should look for black votes, even though he is African-American. Let's move on to Pennsylvania. Lots of excitement. Go and go to it. Indeed. <laughs> well, there's a, a primary for Philadelphia mayor. The yeah. primary on the Democratic side is pretty much going to be the general election. This is an 80 okay. percent Democratic city. Yeah. One of the interesting things I'm watching is it'll be kind of a test of progressive firepower. One candidate, Helen Jim, has been endorsed by Bernie Sanders, endorsed by AOC. And she'd be can, the first Asian-American and the first woman. Can this wing do for uh, this progressive candidate what they did for Brandon Johnson in Chicago? There's mm -hmm. going to be a big focus on public safety sure. and crime. But as we saw in Chicago, that doesn't necessarily mean the more centrist candidate is going to win. But, Joy, the, the suburbs of uh, uh, Philadelphia, 
There's a special election, which I'm the most interested in tonight. Yeah. Polls are closing in just moments on that. This is Delaware County. This is a red to blue district. It reliably voted Republican before Donald Trump came along. 2018, 2020, 2022 voted uh, Democratic. This special okay. election will tell us not only where turnout is, where the enthusiasm yeah. is, but whether the suburbs are sticking with the Democratic Party. There are a lot of suburban voters who used to vote reliably Republican sure. who are not infatuated with the Democratic Party. They might be on rental for the Dems. Right. They just don't like Trump's version of the Republican Party. Yeah. Are they sticking with them? This is going to be a, a very important clue that could tell us whether Donald Trump uh, is, in, is in trouble in it, 2024. It does also seem that election deniers are still not doing well, right? And so you do have the Secretary of State race in Kentucky. Michael Adams beats two election deniers. It doesn't seem that election denying helps you out. Well, election deniers got swept out in uh, 2022. They had a horrible yeah. midterm election. And in Pennsylvania, there are a lot of election deniers on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, running for, I have this uh, written down here, there are two dozen, more than two dozen on the ballot for county commissioner or city council. That's according to Vote Beat and Spotlight PA that ran yeah. an investigation on this. Some of these people are going to be running elections there. This is Trump's Republican Party. And the thing is, is that there he, he seems to be doubling down on that model. You can take Daniel Cameron out of it because he's a sitting attorney general who just, you know, does whatever the Republican base wants him to do. But it does seem that Donald Trump is not walking away from that model because he still wants election deniers in place for 2024. Oh, he's certainly not. He's fully embracing it. I think he has not moved away from election denial, from conspiracy theories. He's leaning further and further into that. And it kind of tells you his path to, to victory in 2024 is precarious in the sense that he's not doing anything to appeal to those suburban independent right. voters who kind of decided to give him a chance in 2016 and then yeah. bolted in 2020. Yeah. He's going to need a supercharged turnout. He sees these, you know, the b types of voters that believe in his election denialism as his path. Yeah. And they keep on losing. Uh, Sahal Kapoor, thank you. Always good to see you. All right. And that is tonight's readout. Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.